good day, friends, and welcome to Thursday, June 22nd. Thanks for joining me for Enough for Today. We're in Psalm 80, so join me there. This is a psalm of sorrowful intercession. Uh, This is a very sad person coming privately to God and grieving the loss of a great dream, uh, a great nation. The northern kingdom of Israel has been overrun. The southern kingdom is about to be. Uh, God is dealing with, with chastening with his people that have refused to follow him, refused to obey him. They continually turn after other gods. At the point of this writing, they were not long ago sacrificing their own children on the fires of altars to Baal and Molech. Uh, this was terrible, terrible stuff we're talking about. So God's justice sweeps in and says this cannot continue. Uh, we're going to put a stop to this nation. We're going to pause everything temporarily. And this person is grieving the loss of this nation and this dream and, um, and asking God to keep his promises and to, and to return, turn back. Um, and when you look at the narrative arc of Scripture, here's what you see. You see Genesis, the beginning of all things, and Abraham and his family. And by Exodus, hundreds of years have gone by, and Abraham's family is now enslaved in Egypt. And God calls Moses to lead them out, to rescue them, to redeem them, in a sense. And they spend 40 years murmuring and disobeying in the wilderness. And finally, that generation passes, and the next generation in Joshua is now entering the promised land to conquer, to settle. They're finally returned home to the land that God originally promised Abraham hundreds of years prior. They settle the land. That generation passes away, and you enter the time of Judges when, again, the people forget God. And every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So the Judges was a bad time in the nation of Israel. And then comes along a man named Samuel. And by that time, you're in the book of First and Second Samuel. Samuel was a priest and a prophet that God raised up to kind of give spiritual leadership to the nation and during the period of the judges to call them back to, to, to the Lord. Well, the people wanted a king, and uh, God did not want them to have a king, but finally he relented and gave them Saul. Saul uh, disintegrated in pride, and God rejected his rule and reign and, and appointed David. David became a good king and a godly king that led the people to follow him. And God promised David, it will be through your line and lineage that the Savior will come, the King of Kings. This is the promise that ties into Abraham um, and his seed being a blessing to the whole world and blessing all people. Remember this, that God, his goal has always been to make himself known to all the world. Um, And he he is still doing that today. But by the time you get into 1st, 2nd Samuel, you've got the reign of David and then the reign of Solomon. Solomon, David's son was an idolater and a sex addict, and he took the nation down a bad road and led them into paganism, trying to do a dual worship of God and paganism. And by the time Solomon's son Rehoboam comes to the throne, the nation splits because Solomon is going to be even a greater oppressor. I'm sorry, Rehoboam is going to be even a greater oppressor than Solomon. So the nation splits. Jeroboam uh, divides the northern kingdom away and becomes king of the northern tribes. In insecurity, he disobeys God. God offers him to bless his kingdom if he'll be a godly king and lead the right direction. But he immediately sets up two pagan altars, one at the southern part of his kingdom, Bethel, one at the northern part of the kingdom, Dan, the city of Dan. And he, and he prohibits the people from going to Jerusalem to worship God. And he tells them they have to go to these two pagan altars to worship. 
And so immediately paganism is brought into the northern kingdom. And for generations now of kings, you have pagan king after pagan king after pagan king. Until finally, God says, now we're going to have uh, put a stop to it. He was so gracious and so merciful for so long. And he was so intervening. You can read the stories in First and Second Kings. And you're reading, when you read about the, 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 the nation of Judah or the king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom. When you're reading about the kings of Israel, that's the northern kingdom. But this is tracking you through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And eventually, God brings what he predicted through Isaiah and Jeremiah. He brings a devastation to the northern kingdom through the Assyrians, and he brings uh, exile and devastation to the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. Isaiah prophesied this. Jeremiah prophesied this. I'm giving you a quick flyby of biblical history. So the nation of Israel, the history ends temporarily. It's suspended, you could say, in exile after hundreds of years from Abraham, then to Moses and the Exodus, to Joshua and the conquering, to the judges, to uh, Samuel, David, Saul, Solomon under a unified kingdom, to then a split kingdom, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, to several generations of kings that lead then to national decline and God's chastening intervention. This psalm is being written after the demise of the northern kingdom. And the psalmist is begging God and pleading to God and interceding. So you have this remnant of people, even though the nation was generally pagan, you have this remnant of people that are still loving and trusting and following God, and they're still praying for revival. They're still praying for renewal. They're praying for resurgence, that God would return. And that's where we pick it up today in verse 14. And I won't be much longer, but let me finish the history. They're in the northern kingdom um, is obliterated. The southern kingdom is restored and renewed after uh, 70 years. They're allowed to return. You can read about that in Ezra. Uh, Nehemiah is sent back to rebuild the walls. Uh, the book of Esther happens a generation later with the Jews that stayed um, in Babylon or in Persia. At this point, it's Persia. Um, so you have the nation being restored and the temple being rebuilt, and you get now to the end of the Old Testament and some of the post-exilic, post-exile prophets that are encouraging the people to resettle and obey God and rebuild the, uh, the temple. Um, Habakkuk and Haggai and uh, God wants to renew and restore them and you have a period of about 400 years in between the testaments where the land is generally resettled there's some wars there's some strife finally Rome comes in and the Jews are occupying the land but Rome conquers and layers the layers Roman rule over uh, the Jewish population so the people are in their land, and they are a nation of Jews, but they're not an autonomous nation. They're certainly not under the reign of a saving king, as their promises and as God's prophecy has predicted. They're not totally restored. They're there, but they're not totally restored. And then Jesus shows up. That's the first page of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the life of Christ. And Jesus, at the end of his life, they, they believe at this point he's Messiah, but he comes into town and he doesn't set up a kingdom. He doesn't release them from Roman tyranny, so they crucify him. And it turns out he's the suffering savior of Isaiah 53, and he is the seed of the woman of Genesis 3, and he is the lamb, the ram caught in the thicket of 
of Abraham's story with Isaac, and he is the promised seed of Abraham, and he is the promised seed of David that's going to be the reigning king, but it turns out he has to be the lamb before he can be the king. It, it turns out that he's going to lay down on the altar and become the sacrifice for the sins, not only of the nation, but for the sins of the world. And the kingdom that he's always been promising and the king that he's always uh, been promising turns out not to just be the king of Israel, but the king of all creation and the king of the whole world. And he's, he's building a kingdom. And it turns out he's not going to set up his throne in that way immediately in a nationalistic, political, geopolitical sense. No, he ascends to heaven and he commissions his followers, the believers that are there. You're a new man now. You're a new people. Uh, you're being grafted in. I am the true vine, and you are new branches on the true vine. The flawed vine, the failed vine of Israel has essentially um, been replaced by the true vine, Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled everywhere that Israel failed on behalf of Israel because he is an Israelite. He is Jewish. So he is restoring the, the true vine by himself and in himself. And he is restoring the true Israel in himself. He is restoring, he is fulfilling everything that Abraham was supposed to be. Everything that Isaac was supposed to be. Everything that Jacob, this is where the name Israel comes from. Everything that Jacob was supposed to be. And every way they failed as, a, as individuals and as a nation in their lineage. Jesus now, as the final savior of, out of their lineage, has stepped up and said, I fulfilled it. I fulfilled all the laws. I've obeyed all the commands. I've lived the life you could never live. And I'm offering salvation as the true vine and not just to Jews, not just to the Israelites, but to anybody who will believe. Anybody can be grafted in and become a child of Abraham spiritually. This is why God said, look at the stars of heaven, Abraham, and see if you can number them because so shall your seed be. Not just his DNA, his human physical DNA, but his spiritual DNA multiplied through across generations, uh, spanning the globe, and you and I as believers are a part of that lineage. So we've been grafted into the new vine, the true vine that failed in Psalm 80. I, I'm just trying to give you the narrative view of this picture. So this psalmist, and by the way, the work continues, the kingdom is growing, the vine is sprawling once again, <laughs> God has planted the vine and it's taking deep root and it's filling the land. And once again, verse 10, the hills are covered, the shadow of it, the boughs thereof like goodly cedars, but it's happening all over the world today through what we call the local church. And this is why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So once again, God's vine is growing. And by the way, once again, the vine of Israel is growing as well. So you could say, very truthfully, Israel is a new vine that's, that's growing and God's cultivating that land and that people again, and his work with them is not done. He's also cultivating and grafting in a new people, the people of the church, followers of Jesus, you and me, we've been grafted in, and the vine of the church is sprawling and spreading and growing all across the world. And you could also say that our local church is his vineyard, his vine. And there's branches springing out every week, every day. We've got little branches growing up at teen camp right now. We've got branches that'll meet tonight in groups. And we're, we're growing as fruitful branches in the garden of God. And it's such a beautiful thing. Now, I've taken way too much time, and I haven't even read the verses I want to read today. 
But this gives you just a big kind of a cosmic sense of why Psalm 80 is so very, very significant in the biblical narrative, but also in the eternal uh, scope and plan of God. So you are a part of something very, very wonderful and special. And God is the gardener of your heart. He's the gardener of your church. He's the gardener of his purposes and his church worldwide. And, uh, and you're going to be fruitful as you continue to abide and follow him. We'll leave it there for today, and we'll pick it up tomorrow in verse, uh, in verse 14. Have a great Thursday.